Uh, there's going to be several scriptures in this that are very familiar to us. And I have been going through this wanting to read things in context, right? And as I was sitting at home thinking about this very verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, and we all know this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, that does, and it doesn't mean exactly the way some people think it means. It does in one sense mean that we can, we can and will endure anything because Christ is in us. Amen. What it doesn't teach is that we can just do anything we want and nor does it teach that we can do anything we just set our mind to irregardless if we're talented enough to do it, irregardless if we're capable of doing it. Because I'm of the opinion that God gives gifts to people. Amen. Talents. If you want to call them talents, we can call them talents. God gives people talents. In the Old Testament, we saw people who were skilled in the working of metal. And not everyone was skilled in the working of metal. Right? Not everyone was skilled in the working of wood. Not everyone was skilled in music. Um, I can tell you emphatically that my family knows that I am not skilled in music. Okay? <laughs> I, I learned to pluck out about three, four chords on a guitar, but that's as far as I ever got. And I don't know that I can get any better than that uh, for several reasons. Number one being I have no timing or rhythm. Uh, number two, I'm half tone deaf and just kind of sing in the key of Kevin. So um, it would make it very hard for me to do that, which is why I don't do it. And I think it's important for us when we read this verse not to apply it to something that it doesn't need to be applied to. Amen. Um, but I think the context would give you great benefit in living your Christian life and in persevering in your walk, which we talked about this morning, sanctification. Right. So reading, we're going to begin in Philippians chapter four, verse four. And we're going to read this entire thought to verse 13, okay? Verse 13 is the final thought in a very uh, deep thought that Paul begins in verse 4 of chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Now watch this. He says, finally, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be 
any praise think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me has flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere, in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, this gives us context to this verse. Amen. This verse is not a bumper sticker verse that we just slap on our car and, you know, whether we're uh, uh, an MMA fighter or not, we just think we can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and we jump in an MMA match and get beat up. Hey, you're to yeah, yeah, thank you for that visual earlier, Kyle. That verse doesn't mean that. It, that verse, when you hear people quoting it, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Yeah, you know, I probably would have been more successful at MMA if I had started 10 years before that, first of all. Um, uh, maybe had a lot better training. Um, <laughs> you, you, you get the drift here. But I was untrained. I was older than I needed to be to start doing something like that. And both of those things played out in the outcome of that fight. Amen. I want you to notice that in the context here, Paul tells him the things you have seen, the things you have learned, right? He's telling the Philippians, the things you have seen in me, learned from me, heard from me, received from me, do those things. Then the God of peace will guard your heart. Amen. Then, not until you're trained, not until you're ready, right? So even in this all things, I can do all things through Christ, which gives me strength. That verse is really telling us that there are trials and tribulations that are going to come in our life. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. There's going to be times of plenty. There's going to be times of want. That doesn't notice that this is written to whom? The church in Philippi. Why is he writing a church telling them to do these things? Could it be that Philippi had grown in the Lord and then all of a sudden started uh, going through want and lack? Uh, maybe even trouble, maybe even persecution. Can I get an amen? That reality has to be seen here. That reality has got to be seen here. Now, I want to start at the beginning. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, this is an important verse for us to understand. Paul is making a point with this statement because he's about to talk about uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and suffocation, right? He's about to talk about that whatsoever things are pure, lovely, 
And he's about to say, you know, the things which you have both received and learned and heard of me and seen in me, do those things. And he's also going to talk about how he learned to be abound and abased. That completely, that verse where he said, I've learned to be content in all things. Verse 11, right? He said, in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. Has got to be understood as connected to verse 4 where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Not just in good times, not just when you have a prayer answered the way you wanted it to, but rejoice in the Lord when prayer is answered the way you don't want it to. Rejoice in the Lord when it seems as if all men are against you. Rejoice in the Lord when it seems like your husband ignores you, your kids don't love you. Rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord when it seems like you can do nothing right in your wife's eyes. Rejoice if, if, if your husband is an income poop and you can't stand him sometimes. Okay? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. That's what he's talking about. You don't believe me? We're reading the context, right? Reading the context of this is, is abounding and abasing, obviously. When you're on top of the mountain, it's really easy for couples to get along, right? Like, I think most couples get along really good right around income tax time. They're all like, unless you're buying lots of Bibles. <laughs> and they're kick-off some problems. <laughs> But most couples get along when things are good, when things are easy. Most churches get along real well when things are easy. But we're not necessarily growing in times of ease. I think it's the times of lack, the times of pressure, the times of, uh, uh, of being abased, the times that we are in want where the church really grows. And really thrives because then we can practice rejoicing in the Lord always through whatever circumstance, whatever I'm going through, I'm going to learn to be content. Notice that Paul says, I want you to notice his wording. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to be to abound in everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I think the ESV says, I have learned to be content in all things. This is a learned behavior. How do I learn this type of rejoicing in tribulation, in struggle, in lack, in need, in want? Amen. That's how I learn it. I will never learn that kind of rejoicing. I will never learn that kind of contentment unless I am going through something to put that into practice. Amen? Now, let's go on. He says, and again, I say rejoice. Now, the King James here in verse 5 says, let your moderation be known among all men. Verse 5, when you read this, it says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. That word moderation in the King James simply means gentleness, 
or forbearance, okay? Moderation meaning gentleness. Let your gentleness be known unto all men that the Lord is at hand. Gentleness. It's really hard. Now, I don't know if you guys do this. Um, I mean, I'm sure you got, you know, your, your uh, Christian perfection badges on and your halos on your head. But <clears throat> when couples don't get along, it's really hard to be gentle. Can I get the amen, okay? Because they'll say something to you and you're like, well, that ain't true. And I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. And then, no, you're wrong. And then all the gentleness, compassion, love, kindness kind of, um, it's like get, you open the door in outer space. The vacuum just sucks it all out, right? It's, it's gone. And I know, <laughs> I know that this happens in every house, okay? It happens with your kids. You want to be loving, compassionate, kind to your children, and then they do something, and all you want to do is Homer Simpson them, okay? And so all you want to do is just, ah, like he's choking Bart out, right? Why? Because naturally, we're in these fleshly bodies that get driven and tossed, right? That's why we're told to beat our bodies, to bring them into subjection, to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to, to, to put on the mind of Christ, to follow after him, to, to do these things, right? This is the reason he's saying this right now. When you learn to be gentle and content in all things, you're going to be a testimony that the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. Now, this word careful generally means anxious. The way the King James uses the word here, careful, is anxious. Be anxious. Be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about things. That's really hard when, when bills are coming in and, and um, jobs are changing and, and, and you know, you, you got more kids and mouths to feed than you got money to do it all. It's real hard not to be anxious. It's real hard not to worry. It's real hard not to stress out. So what's the solution be careful for nothing be anxious for nothing church if i was going to say anything to our church about our situation is to be anxious for nothing and then he gives you the answer but i love the buts in the bible and this is a big but and i could make another joke but i'm not going to be careful for nothing but in everything, in everything, whether I'm in plenty or I'm in want, whether I'm in lack, whether I'm in suffering, whatever I'm in, but in everything, with prayer and supplication. Notice that he ties prayer and then emphasizes prayer with supplication. So now this isn't just, oh yeah, I prayed about it this morning. This is supplication. I prayed, now I'm going to keep praying. Now I'm going to keep asking. That's supplication. Supplication is 
Uh, prayer is simply asking. Supplication is nearly begging. It's akin to earnestly desiring in prayer. We're almost begging God for these things. That's the, uh, the idea behind the word supplication. It is a earnest plea. Not just, you're not just asking, but you're asking earnestly, emphatically, almost beggingly. You're seeking God for those things. He said, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So he's giving you threefold way to bring these prayers. When I'm going through anxiety, I can't simply hang my hat on a prayer. That's what it's saying. I have to pr be praying and supplicating. And I also have to do it with thanksgiving. Why am I thankful? Because we already have the greatest blessing we'll ever need. Eternal life. And everything else pales in comparison. So if I'm, that's how I can learn to be content in all things. Is because my circumstances should not, and, uh, and dare I say, better not instruct how I feel about my relationship with God. My circumstances should not determine my thankfulness to God. My thankfulness to God should be the same in every situation because he's in control of all things. He's at work in all things. He works all things out for the good of those who are called and are loved and called according to his good purpose. He's on the throne, right? So if he's on the throne, anxiety and worry have no place in my heart no matter the circumstances because I have the gift of eternal life. I have the ultimate miracle and I have a relationship with God. So when he says with thanksgiving, he's telling you, pray about it. And don't just pray about it. Seek God earnestly about it in supplication. But don't forget thanksgiving. So if we're doing these three, anxiety will have less of a hold on our heart on our mind, on our walk, on our outlook on life, given we know who or whose we are. Can I get an amen on that? Verse 7, then, notice after he says all this thing, be anxious for nothing. So we're to rejoice, first of all. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I want that. Don't you want that? Don't you want to learn how to do that? How are we going to learn how to do that? I think... It's obvious that we're already going through a time of want. Can I get an amen? We're going through a time of want, a time of lack, a time of being in the valley, a time when we're underneath the weight of burdens right now, right? And this is the time where we can learn how to do these things. 
We can learn how to rejoice in the Lord even in this circumstance. We can learn how to, to uh, uh, be careful or anxious for nothing right now. But right now is the time we ought to pray. Not only just pray, but we ought to pray earnestly. And we should not forget whom we have, uh, whose house we have been made a part of. Who we have as our head, as our, our, our bridegroom, which is Christ. If we learn to start doing those things now, how great is it going to be when we get to the top of the mountain and out of the valley? Can, I mean, it's going to be great to be able to put my foot in the ground or my knees on the carpet and say, you know what, God, I rejoice right now that I live where I live. I'm in the, the church that I'm in. I'm in the position that I'm in. To watch you do something very great in our midst. Amen. He says, finally, this is another instruction on how to rejoice in the Lord always. This is another instruction on how to be anxious for nothing. Finally, brethren and sistren. That's not a real word, by the way. Cisterns are holes in the ground, just letting you know. Whatsoever things are true. So we're going to, what's true? Anybody know what's true? God's true. Every man's a liar, right? God's word is true. John 17, 17, right? God's word is true. So whatever's true. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, how does that tie into this? Just like Colossians 3, we're to set our affections on things above. So here he's telling you, you want to get over anxiety, you want to get over a, a, a poor spirit, be able to rejoice in the Lord always, think on good things. Doesn't the Bible say it's the goodness of the Lord that leadeth men to repentance? Isn't the goodness of God something that we ought to remember, especially in times of trouble and trial and hardship? We ought to remember the good things that God is doing. Just like, just like Bryant bringing up, well, look, see, your mom's talking to people and getting other people to come to church. That's a good thing. That's a good report. We got to find the little things that God does all the time in our life. Do you understand how awesome it is to when you finally start preaching through the Bible verse by verse by verse and then your kids start getting it? That's a plus. That's a bonus. That's a virtue. That's a good report. We can, we can stand here 20 years from now and we can say, well, you know what? We, uh, 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 when this church is still going and all these kids are bringing their kids to church, we're going to be able to sit back and go, you know, it's because we were faithful 
in the things that God told us to do. That we brought our children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We did exactly what God told us to do. And here's the fruit. You realize when you hear these words that planting and harvesting are not done in the same season. And some seasons, like winter, nothing happens. Rain comes, snow comes. Why does it come? Do you realize what rain and snow do? Weather. They bring mineral and nutrients back to the ground. So that when spring comes, the plants can flourish and grow. That's what winter does. That's what that time of the season does. But on the surface, it looks like nothing is happening. Things, the plants lose all their leaves. Right now, my grapevine is totally dead. And it's probably a good time for me to trim it back. But my grapevine is totally, no flowering on it, nothing going on. It looks dead. It looks like just a dried up vine. But come spring, especially if I trim that bush back, if I prune it in the middle of winter when the sap's all at the bottom of the stalk, if I trim that back this spring, it's going to grow like crazy. Why? Because wintertime is a time for the ground to rest, for all the nutrients to come back to the ground so that in spring, we can plant and have a harvest. Amen? It's not always a season of planting or harvesting. And some seasons feel like winter. But just as sure as winter comes, spring is around the corner. And Paul knows that if he's just content wherever God places him, and he sets his mind on the good things, that God does every day for him. That he won't be anxious. And he'll be able to rejoice in the Lord always. Notice another thing he says. So we go, okay, so how do we apply this, okay? What does he say? Those things which you have both learned and received. This is verse 9. And heard. And seen in me. So these are things that Paul taught him, that he received from Paul, that Paul, uh, that he heard Paul say, that he saw in Paul's life. He says, all these things, do them. What things? What things is he, could he possibly be talking about? Well, given the, the pattern of how Paul wrote, nearly every letter was full of Reminding people of the gospel, reminding them that they're Christ, and then applying how to live their life for Christ. Ephesians, you know, talks about husbands loving their wives, talks about the church being one with one another, amen, talks about how we're, uh, Corinthians talks to the church about the different gifts of the Spirit, talks to them about the different offices of the Spirit, talks to them about how they're supposed to conduct themselves in corporate worship. Philippians is not any different. He's talked about many of these same things in this letter to 
the Philippian church. He said, these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do them. And then he gives another qualifier. If you do them, and the God of peace shall be with you. You want the God or the peace of God to be with you. You need to put to practice the things that are taught to you in Scripture. That word has to be applied or it will not comfort you. It will not guard your heart and mind. It will not help you to grow and be content and learn to rejoice in the Lord always. Now I'm going to finish real quickly here. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now, uh, that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. Now it seems as if the Philippians had lost opportunity to help Paul. It doesn't say why. It says, he does say that, uh, that, that he lacked opportunity. Now that could be that Paul wasn't close enough or, or he, they didn't know where he was to send them aid. Or it could mean that they were going through a season where they didn't have any means by which to help Paul. They were in a moment of being abased. They were in a moment of lack. They were in a moment of need, their own self. So there was no opportunity for them to help Paul in the work of the ministry. You see that? He says, at last your care for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful. Now, that word careful, what did it mean earlier? Anxious. Right. So before they were anxious to help Paul, but they lacked the opportunity. Notice what, how he ends it. But ye lacked the opportunity. Now that I speak in respect, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Notice he says, I have learned. I want you to understand that Paul didn't get some magic wand waved over his head and he just somehow woke up and knew how to be content even when he didn't have anything. That's not what it says. It says that he learned to be content. Amen. He said, I have learned in whatever state I am, I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Now, Christian, this is my point to you. He says, I know how to be abased. So that means there's a way to not act when you are abased. If he's saying, I know how to be abased, he's saying there's other people that don't know how to be abased. And they need to learn how to be abased. That means when I'm in lack and I'm want, I'm not blaming God for all my misfortune. I'm not, I'm not, woe is me and look how pitiful I am. God must not love me because I don't have anything and no, nothing's going right. Uh-huh. <laughs> he gave me this woman. <laughs> Carmen, you keep, you're cracking me up. I can't do that. That's the wrong way to be abased. The right way to be abased or to, to abound is to be content in whatever situation I'm in. Just like the previous verse said that Paul learned how to do that. How did he learn how to do that? I'm pretty sure being imprisoned and run out of towns and stoned almost to death. 
pretty sure that teaches you how to be abounded or abased, how to be in lack or want. He said, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So Paul is making a point that I can, I've learned how to be on the top of the mountain and I've learned how to be on the bottom of the mountain. I've learned how to act when I have all that I need and I've learned how to act when I don't have enough but I glorify God and rejoice in Him anyway and I don't get anxious about the situation but I pray and I seek God and I'm thankful for what He is doing and I set my mind on the good things, the pure things, the holy things, the things that are of good report. That's the things that I focus on. And then the peace of God. The God of peace is with me. And then he has this most famous verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. All what things? All the things he just said. I can rejoice in the Lord always. I can be anxious for nothing. I can look at the honest things, the pure things, the just things, the lovely things, the, the things of good report. I can look at the things that have virtue in them and anything that is praiseworthy. I'm thinking on these things. And then the peace of God, the God of peace is with me. And I understand that I can be content in all things. And I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. That's what this verse is meaning. When you read it in context, it takes the superficial, super spiritual idealism out of it. And it makes it very practical. It makes it very earthly understanding that God is going to be with us in our trouble, in our trial, in the fire. In the flood, amen, in the lion's den, against the Philistines, against, you know, Babylon, in Babylon, coming out of Babylon, whatever we're at. God has promised to never leave us, never forsake us. And that can give us a peace that passes all understanding and help us to understand that I can go through all of that. Because Christ gives me strength. Go ahead. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Yeah. Amen. And, and so that, that's kind of the same thing, you know. He's not saying that it's always going to be joyful. Because when you're tempted, it's, you know. It's hard. It's, it's difficult. Hard. It's stressful. 
so that if we are bound, we can be thankful to God when we know our abundance comes from Him. Amen. And if we are obeyed, we can uh, be content because we know that He provides all of our needs. And Amen. Amen. He will sustain us through anything. And I want to tie one more verse onto this whole thing to close with. Romans 8, 28. Don't you know that God works all things together for the good of those who are called, who are loved, who love him and are called according to his good purpose? Why? Because God has us right where he wants us. And if we'll learn to be content right there, those who humble themselves shall be exalted. So I think what we need to do right now is resist the devil, resist anxiety, resist worship, uh, worry, submit ourselves to God. Submit ourselves to the mighty hand of God, his plan, his purpose for this church, and watch God do what only God can do as we're faithful to walk the rest of this out. Amen? Let's pray. That's right. That's right. Father God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this message. Lord, thank you for encouraging me in my own life, in my own heart, in my own mind, God, in my own spirit. Thank you for encouraging me with this message. And I pray, God, that it encourages other people. I pray that it helps them. I pray that it blesses them. Lord, I pray that you would guard the hearts and the minds of all those who come and serve and worship in this church. That we would not lose heart, that we not lose hope, but we would set our hope and our affection on you. We would set our hope and our affection on things above where Christ is, who is our hope, who is our help, who is our great high priest, who is our provider, sustainer, our shepherd. Lord, we submit ourselves to you tonight. We resist the world. We resist the flesh. We resist the devil. We cry out to you, Lord. We pray. We supplicate. We, thank, we give you thanksgiving, God, and we rejoice right now because we know this is true. And you've revealed it to us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.